so humbling to realize that you have devoted yourself inseparably to us for all of eternity. And we glory in that grace. We glory in that relationship. We cling to Jesus Christ, our only Savior, and we rejoice in you. And we give you the glory. And as we continue to worship this morning by looking into your word and responding to that word, I pray that you would guide my lips, that you would guide the hearts and minds of these people as they are Bereans, and uh, that you would be glorified in the responses of our heart. We love you, and we commit this time to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Please turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 19. We're only going to look at two verses today. Acts 19, verses 21 and 22. Hear the Word of God. When these things were accomplished, Paul purposed in the Spirit, when he had passed through Macedonia and Achaia, to go to Jerusalem, saying, After I have been there, I must also see Rome. So he sent into Macedonia two of those who ministered to him, Timothy and Erastus, but he himself stayed in Asia for a time. You may be seated. Hardy Powers once said, Our plans usually mark the limits of our faith, for we usually don't do more than we have planned. And I like that statement, especially the first part. says, Our plans usually mark the limits of your faith. Paul had audacious plans because he had an audacious faith in what the Lord Jesus Christ had planned for this earth. And I want to ask you the question this morning, how does your planning demonstrate your faith? Or what kind of faith does your planning demonstrate? Now, some people reject that um, statement altogether because they think faith and planning are opposites. Uh, You really cannot do uh, the same together. And yet, verse 21 indicates that Paul's plans were moved by the Holy Spirit. God wanted him to plan God enabled him to plan, and throughout his epistles, Paul planned over and over again. And so that's one extreme that you can go to. You can say, you know, I'm going to live by faith. I'm not going to do any planning whatsoever. The other extreme is to be so focused on your plans that they become almost blinders that hinder you from being able to take new opportunities that the Lord is casting into your path. They almost uh, make some people... Uh, lose successful opportunities. Why? Because they're not looking to what the Lord is doing. They're so intent on what they are wanting to do. And I think in this passage, we see that Paul avoids both of those extremes. He was a man of faith. He was a man who used his intelligence. He was a man of planning. And he was very sensitive to opportunities that God was strewing into his path. And we need to have the same balance Uh, Just a few months later, and it actually occurs in the next chapter, um, uh, Romans 20, he writes the book of Romans. And he tells the Romans, Now I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that I often planned to come to you, but was hindered until now, that I might have some fruit among you also, just as among the other Gentiles. That's Romans 1.13. So Paul often planned to come to Rome, but he was hindered. And here again, the Spirit of God has been stirring up within him this desire to go to Rome. And in indication, I believe, that God indicated he was going to get to Rome uh, eventually. So why does he not go there right away? Uh, Why is he waiting here just a little bit longer? I think that this stay was also spurred by the Holy Spirit. 
And this stay was very strategic, and we're going to be seeing uh, why it was a very profound change. So today we're going to look at the plans of Paul and the sovereignty of God. How do those two fit together? First, believers must always plan. Verse 21 says, When these things were accomplished, Paul purposed in the Spirit. The plans to travel to Macedonia and Achaia and Jerusalem and Rome were purposed in the Spirit, and I think the New King James translators are correct when they put a capital S on that Spirit. They were purposed by the Holy Spirit. Uh, He had known for quite some time that the Spirit was going to eventually take him to Rome. He didn't know how or when or why he was going to be going to Rome exactly, but he had been making plans for quite some time to try to get there in fulfillment of the Spirit's leading. And uh, we already read Romans 1.13. He had often planned uh, to go to Rome, but was hindered until now. So if the Spirit is leading him, and he's made a number of plans, why does he not do it right away? Why does he wait another nine months? That's a long time to wait. Uh, I think the answer to that is what gives us balance. And uh, we know it was another nine months that he's in here from three verses. If you look at verse uh, 8... You'll see Paul's preaching for the first three months that he's in Ephesus. He's in the synagogue. Then verse 10 adds another two years that he's working in Ephesus. And then chapter 20, verse 31, summarizes the whole stay, chapter 19, verse 1 through verse 41, that whole stay in Ephesus as being a full three years. So there's another nine months that uh, he is not going to be able to fulfill these plans that he's engaged in. I think that's an extremely significant statement. Uh, First, when God's Spirit leads, He does not want us to turn off our brains. He does not want us, uh, you know, to stop planning. He does not want us to stop taking up great opportunities. And there was incredible opportunity that Paul was seizing at this moment uh, to delay him another nine months. Second, his plans were not just for a week. Uh, He's nine months out, and then his plans are going to be for the next year or so. So he's engaged in long-term planning not just short-term. Third, his planning is not so rigid that it cannot adapt to changing his plans uh, whenever is needed. He's constantly changing his plans. And as we're going to be seeing, there is a very significant event that happens that changes his plans between verse 21 and verse 22. And we'll look at that event. But he's not rigid. That's the point here. Fourth, Paul's planning in the Spirit wasn't so detailed that he couldn't fit in intervening Uh, things into his plans. Fifth, uh, God's guidance was not detailed enough that they would be complete all on their own. Uh, Paul's planning had to fill in the gaps to God's guidance. Uh, Guidance has never been a replacement for reasonable planning. You see, Paul doesn't really even know what all is going to transpire as he goes to Jerusalem or after uh, Jerusalem. He knows he's going to get to Rome, but he doesn't have the foggiest notion now of the marvelous ways that God is going to do that. Um, God's going to give him a free trip to Rome by getting him arrested and going on uh, one of these uh, Roman uh, uh, Navy ships. And he's even going to have free food and free board. And he's going to have security guards taking care of him, just like those that are around President Bush. Now, they're not going to have those cute little... uh, Uh, earbuds in their ears, but um, they're going to be just as effectively protecting Paul because several times the Jews try to kill him and it's the Romans who protect him from being killed. 
So he's got room and board. He's got opportunities to witness to these Romans all the way up to Caesar's household. But at this point, he doesn't know that. He's only got a tiny bit of the information and he's trying to make wisdom plans and fit what God has guided him in and piecemeal into that. Now, why do I bring this up? Well, too many people are paralyzed in their planning because God's only given them very incomplete guidance and they're begging God, give me more guidance. I need more details for the future. And uh, they, they feel kind of paralyzed. Well, I want you to realize this is the way it has always been. This is the way it's always going to be. Guidance is only one little part of a leader's planning. Only one little part. I want you to turn with me to chapter 16, Acts chapter 16, where this is especially clear. And for those of you who have an illusion that guidance is a substitute for diligent study of the Scripture and diligent planning, I think this is a key corrective here. Acts 16, let me read verses 6 through 10. It says, Now when they had gone through Phrygia, the region of Galatia, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. After they had come to Mysia, they tried to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit did not permit them. So, passing by Mysia, they came down to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in in the night. A man of Macedonia stood and pleaded with him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. Now, after he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel uh, to them. I want you to notice how piecemeal the guidance is here. Paul planned to go to Asia in verse 6, but the Spirit changes his plans. He then planned to go to Mysia in verse 7. Spirit changes his plans. He plans to go to Troas in verse 8, and the Spirit gives him that... uh, a remarkable Macedonian call in verse 9, but all the way through he is planning and the Spirit didn't stop him from planning. In fact, the Spirit expected him to plan. And that's why God does not give us detailed information. He wants us to use our heads when we are planning. Even when he gets that remarkable vision in verse 9, look at what verse 10 says. Now, after he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to them. Concluding. Okay, Paul was using his head. He was making the best deduction that uh, uh, he was able to make. Now, why is this important? Well, it'll spare you from legalism. It'll spare you from making stupid mistakes. It'll spare you from overgeneralizing your guidance. It'll spare you from uh, being bound by somebody else's guidance or through... You know, falling down an elevator shaft because somebody told you to walk through an open door. Okay, God does give us guidance, very, very important, but He never intended that to be a substitute for diligent study of the Bible or diligent planning. Guidance was one tool of planning, not a substitute. Now, having said all of that, I do want to affirm what an incredible, incredible blessing it is to have the Spirit giving us guidance and wisdom and insight in our planning. Even though I'm not going to be emphasizing this point uh, this morning, uh, we do need His guidance and wisdom. He knows the future. We don't know the future. I think of the boy and the father who were planning a fishing trip the next day, and when the dad was tucking him into bed that night, the boy stuck his arms around the dad's neck, and he said, Daddy, thank you for tomorrow. Now, he hadn't experienced tomorrow yet. He's not been given tomorrow yet. But his dad's planning concerning tomorrow has just given him joy and anticipation. And that's the way every day is in my life. Well, I shouldn't say every day, but most days are in my life. 
I know I can be excited about tomorrow no matter how painful or difficult it is because tomorrow is coming from the hands of a good God who loves me and He's got the whole future uh, mapped out for me. Paul's plans were always subject to the Father's will. When he planned, he allowed God to blue pencil in his plans any time the Lord changed. And if we can view planning the same way, I think we'll avoid frustration. God is in the inward guidance. God is in the outward providential details that He brings into your life. God is in even Paul's mental planning. He is in all of those details. And being sensitive to what God is doing in any given situation, I think, can really help us to strategically make the most of our time. So don't buy into that false dichotomy between uh, guidance and planning. They work in tandem and both are needed. Now let me try to fill you in back in chapter 19. What's going on in this chapter? Verse 21 says, when these things were accomplished, a dictionary defines the word accomplished as, quote, to bring to completion an activity in which one has been involved in from its beginning. Or second definition, to bring to completion that which was already begun. Or third definition, to complete a period of time. Doesn't matter which definition you use, it's very clear Paul has finished everything that he had planned to do in the city of Ephesus. Those two years and three months are already more time that he spent in Ephesus than he spent in most any other uh, city. And uh, he's now con uh, concluded it's time to move on. It's time to uh, go on to the next phase, and yet he ends up not moving on. And we'll look at that in a moment. But at this point, I just want you to realize we've got to be flexible. We've got to be flexible. If you do your plans exactly as you laid them out, even if it appears like this is not really very wise, it's foolish, you're being legalistic. Uh, God, good planners leave flexibility built into their planning and it enables them to capitalize on the opportunities that God brings into their lives. Plans are simply guidelines. Don't feel like if you break your plan because it seems wiser to do so that somehow you're destroying some cosmic you know, thing. Your plans are fallible human plans. Only God is infallible. And so the phrase, when these things were accomplished, indicates that after everything Paul had planned was finished, he found himself needing to add significantly to his plans. Verse 21 goes on to say, purposed in the Spirit when he had passed through Macedonia and Achaia to go to Jerusalem. Now, Macedonia was where he had planted the churches of Philippi, Thessalonica, and Berea. And Achaia was where he had planted the church of Corinth. And it doesn't matter whether you travel there by land or travel there by sea, it's not on the way to Jerusalem. Jerusalem is south. Those uh, cities were north. But those cities were important to visit for two reasons. First of all, there was a lot of trouble that Judaizers and others had brought into the churches. He felt he's got to go there and help solidify things. And then secondly, these churches were giving a contribution to the poor saints in, in uh, Jerusalem, and he wanted to uh, bring that money uh, down to Jerusalem. Here's what he says in Romans 15:26, which was written in the next chapter, uh, Acts 20. For it pleased those from Macedonia and Achaia to make a certain contribution for the poor among the saints who were in Jerusalem. Now, Paul's already encouraged Corinth to do that. 1 Corinthians 16, 1 through 3, 2 Corinthians 8, verses 1 through 9. So those are the plans. And now with these new changes, it is going to make Paul very, very pressed in his schedule. It's going to really uh, 
make it imperative that he's efficient with his time. He's very, very organized. Look at the end result of the delay in Acts 20, verse 16. For Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus so that he would not have to spend time in Asia, for he was hurrying to be at Jerusalem, if possible, on the day of Pentecost. Just because you're a good planner does not mean you're not going to have stressful days and you're not going to be hurrying, hurrying, trying to uh, catch up on your schedule. Uh, Any businessman, any pastor, any leader knows that God throws things into an already packed schedule that sometimes makes you just run like crazy. Don't think you're a poor planner just because you have to hurry. Those who are sensitive to God's fine-tuning have to make these adjustments on the fly. And by the way, those who are not are just going to be missing out on opportunities left and right, financial and other kinds of opportunities. And I think Paul was a great, he was a brilliant balance between trying to do everything that he had planned, but totally relaxing when God and his sovereignty changed his plans. Now, let me just give you an example. We can't go over all of these changes, but William Hendrickson points out Paul's goal was to get to Jerusalem by, uh, uh, by um, Passover, And because of ministry needs that had come up, he was not able to make it until Pentecost, which is 50 days later. That's a a long delay. Uh, Paul's example ought to make you a little bit more relaxed if you're 50 days behind schedule, okay? (laughs) Actually, he was more than that. He's nine months behind schedule, then another 50 days that gets tacked on. And so, you know, Paul, I can definitely relate to what he uh, was doing. But here's the point. Paul's lateness was not due to laziness and it was not due to lack of planning. What it was due to was a sensitivity to God's schedule and saying, I want God's schedule and I can't guess it. And so when God makes these changes, I am delighted to change my schedule. In effect, he was following James's advice that we're not supposed to have the future in concrete. We're supposed to say, if the Lord wills, uh, we will do such and such. So planning enables you to relax, especially when you have planned some contingencies in. I think there's a great passage on planning. Okay, last phrase of verse 21 shows Paul talking to his team, saying, after I've been there, I must also see Rome. Now, there were certain things that were certain for Paul. He knew by the Spirit's guidance he had to be uh, going up to Macedonia and Achaia. He had to go to Rome. And in the past, it was not possible. Now it looks like it will be possible. And he doesn't realize there's going to be a big detour once he gets to Palestine before he actually gets to Rome. And he doesn't know the marvelous way God's going to accomplish this, courtesy of uh, the Roman army. But he does know good leaders must plan. And he does know God's guidance will eventually come to pass. Now let's take a look at how good leaders learn to adjust their plans. The but in verse 22 indicates that Paul wasn't able to leave right away as he had anticipated. He was telling his team, I must go. And yet in verse 22 it says, but he himself stayed in Asia for a time. So summarizing that, he's saying, I must go, but he didn't go. At least not right away. He didn't go. 1 Corinthians 16 explains this quick change in plans that occurred between these two verses. And I want you to turn there. So you can see this for yourself. 1 Corinthians chapter 16. I think this is so instructive about Paul's uncertainty about the future, his need to be flexible. And I've seen some people's plans. There's absolutely no flexibility built into their plans. It's no wonder they're always stressed out. Uh, There's no slush time. 
and they haven't learned to relax and strategically drop portions of their plans that God's providence is, is blue penciling out. So 1 Corinthians 16, Paul's already written this before uh, Acts 19, verse 22. And uh, let's begin reading at verse 1. Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I have given orders to the churches of Galatia, so you must do also. On the first day of the week, let each one of you lay something aside, storing up as he may prosper, that there be no collections when I come. Now here Paul uh, plans to, you know, make preparations so that when he actually comes to visit, he's not going to be wasting a lot of time. Verse 3, when I come, whomever you approve by your letters, I will send to bear your gift to Jerusalem. Paul knows that he can't control every contingency. So he prepares himself to be flexible. These people might have their own idea how they want the money uh, being sent, and he doesn't have total control over that. Paul's okay with that. Paul's recognizing he might have to stay in Corinth for quite some time. He'd rather not stay there, and he ends up not staying real long. Uh, He'd rather not do that, but his flexibility shows that he's not a control freak. Verse 4, But if it is fitting that I go also, they will go with me. Now, at this point, he does not have the clarity on guidance that he does in Acts 19, verse 22, but it shows he's been making contingency plans. He can't control all of the contingencies, but he has a say over what his team is going to be able to do. Verses 5 and 6, Now I will come to you when I pass through Macedonia, for I am passing through Macedonia, and it may be that I will remain or even spend the winter with you that you may send me on my journey wherever I go. Notice the words, it may be. It may be. Paul is not dogmatic. Why? He doesn't know the future unless God has revealed the future to him. Paul is modeling to us exactly the same advice that James uh, gives. We will do such and such if the Lord wills. You can't control the future and your plans need to make sure that they are not in concrete. Uh, Some churches, the way they plan... Uh, you would think that they can guarantee the future. And the, the way uh, some individuals plan, it's almost like there is, a, uh, there is a, you know, the idea we can control the future, and that is absolutely not the case. Uh, notice also that he says that you may send me on my journey wherever I go. Okay, now, he, he knows he's going to eventually get to Rome, But he doesn't know what kind of stops God might be making in the future uh, leading up to that time. And in fact, when you read through Acts, it's a good thing he was flexible because God does indeed make a number of adjustments uh, to his plan. Verse 7, For I do not wish to see you now on the way, but I hope to stay a while with you if the Lord permits. Critical words. Planning, but always if the Lord permits. And this shows humility in planning. You know, we've, we've, we, we, we don't control the future. We've got to have humility. Now, I'm all excited about 100-year plans. But every step of the way, we need to have an if the Lord permits. I mean, how in the world are you going to control the next 100 years? You're not. But you're trying to take the steps that will enable you the best way you can to glorify God. And by the way, we need to be grateful when God does change our plans because His plans are better, right? Rather than getting frustrated, oh, couldn't get this done. No, be grateful that God has brought those changes in. Now, hear me on this. If even the Apostle Paul was uncertain about the future, then we ought not to feel shame when we don't know what's around the corner. Okay? It shouldn't keep you from planning. 
shouldn't keep you from action. Now, it does keep some people from action. Uh, their uncertainty about the future just paralyzes them. They are such control freaks that they never end their research. They never end their planning, which means they never start going forward. And God says He's not going to blast you off the planet because you don't have enough knowledge. He knows none of us will have enough knowledge. He wants us uh, to use our heads. So don't let lack of information paralyze you. Some people overplan, they overstudy, they try to rule every possible contingency out. And we're going to be seeing Paul does take into account certain contingencies over which he might have some uh, control. But um, uh, don't be so perfectionistic that you feel, I've got to have exhaustive knowledge before I move on. Paul did not do that. Relax, be flexible, pursue your plans of wisdom until it becomes clear God is wanting you to do something else. Now, in 1 Corinthians 16, 8 through 9, Paul then gives his reason for the nine-month delay. But I will tarry in Ephesus until Pentecost, for a great and effective door has opened to me, and there are many adversaries. Now, we can understand the many adversaries, but what was the great and effective door that's just now opened up to him? He's already had two years and three months of fantastically great and open opportunities, and he's already finished all of his plans for that opportunity. So what more is there that's a great and open door of opportunity in Ephesus? Well, I can't prove it, but I believe that the huge opportunity was the Pan-Ionian Games that were scheduled to be played in Ephesus exactly at that time back then. And this was an unprecedented opportunity for witness when there were going to be sports fanatics from all over the empire converging on Ephesus, not only to participate, but others just to watch. There'd be government officials, there were going to be businessmen, there'd be all kinds of people present in Ephesus. And Paul's planning to leave, and here's what I'm just reading between the lines has probably happened. The leaders of Ephesus say, uh, you know, Paul, you ought to stay here uh, just another nine months because there's going to be a fantastic opportunity. Your desires are to plant churches in regions that no other apostles have ever been to before and even in some of the barbarian tribes. And let me tell you something, Paul. There's going to be representatives from every one of those countries coming to Ephesus. You're going to have a fantastic opportunity to witness and perhaps to lay the groundwork for church planting in those other uh, tribes and, and nations. I think that's why Paul uh, was staying in, in Ephesus. And yet, when he did stay here, incredible opportunity, it put a huge time crunch on him. Now, he was effective. In fact, we're going to be seeing later on in Acts chapter 19, he was so effective that it cut into the sales of Demetrius and the other silversmiths. They'd never had such a bad year during the Pan-Ionian Games ever uh, this is the effectiveness of Paul's strategy, but it put a time crunch. Now, let me quote from Charles Swindoll's biography on Moses. I think that this summarizes very nicely the lesson that I'm trying to make. He says, To walk by faith does not mean that we stop thinking. To trust God does not imply becoming slovenly or lazy or apathetic. What a distortion of biblical faith. You and I need to trust God for our finances, but that is no license to spend foolishly. You and I ought to trust God for safety in the car, but we're not wise to pass in a blind curve. We trust God for our health, but that doesn't mean we can chain smoke, stay up half the night, and subsist on potato uh, chips and Twinkies without consequences. 
Faith and careful planning go hand in hand. They always have. You know, some people pit trusting God against planning for pregnancies, for example. And they think, uh, you're not trusting God if you're planning at all, taking any dominion in that area of your life. But that is an utterly unbiblical contrast. Now, can God change your planning for pregnancies? Absolutely. He does it all the time. And you can rejoice when He uh, does that. But God calls us to take dominion. And we can't pit faith against dominion. Some people fail to have realistic plans for their finances. They say, well, that's not. I just need to trust God concerning the future. And uh, yet, my question is this. If you really have faith that God is going to do something in your future, where is your planning to show that faith? As um, Hardy Powers said, our plans usually mark the limits of our faith. And so I have to assume if you have no planning, you have no faith. That's really what it amounts to. Because if you have real faith of what God's going to do, that's going to be something that's going to drive you to be planning for that. Uh, The great hymn writer said, Trust and obey, and planning is a part of our obedience. Some people believe that having insurance is not consistent with trusting God. Well, what is insurance? It's attempts at making contingency plans should something happen. Follow Paul's model of faith planning, sensitivity to new opportunities that God has opened up. Now, there's not just planning. Point three indicates there's also risk and pain that we must be willing to face. Uh, We've already read Paul's allusion to many adversaries in Acts uh, 16, verse 9, and Acts 19 definitely speaks about adversaries. But Paul was willing to take risks for the sake of the advancement of uh, Christ's kingdom. And if you look at verse 30, you'll see an example of that. The riot is in full swing, and it says, When Paul wanted to go into the people, the disciples would not allow him. Better minds prevailed, uh, probably spared Paul from getting um, martyred earlier than he uh, actually was. But Paul knows there are times, if we're going to have victory, there are times we've got to take risks. What athlete for the Olympics does not suffer pain to achieve his goal? Such disciplined sacrifices are incorporated right into his planning, and if he doesn't plan for them, he's never going to get to the Olympics. Uh, What successful businessman does not take some calculated risks? Uh, The greatest opportunities in life sometimes require risk. I think of Gary Spy's amazing feat of crossing the Atlantic Ocean. He did it in 54 days in a 10-foot boat and gained great fame for himself because nobody else had done that before. But it took a lot of planning. It took a lot of hard work. It took facing some risks. In fact, some of the uh, roughest parts of the voyage were so rough, by the time he got to England, his whole body was just black and blue, just covered with bruises. Now, we look at something like that and we say, that is crazy. This guy is a nut. Why in the world would he do something like that? Uh, Because that's not a goal that's important to us. But here's the question I have for you. Is there any goal in your life that is important for you to make those kind of sacrifices? Do you have any goal that you are willing to make pain, have pain and sacrifices to achieve that call? If you don't have any audacious goals in life, you may want to go back to the drawing board and say, Lord, I obviously don't know what my calling in life is. What is your calling upon me? And I'm not talking of a calling in terms of vocation. Because in the Sermon on the Mount, he indicates that every Christian 
uh, whether he is a, a simple farmer or a, a wife or a child, every Christian has God's call upon him to accomplish what only his power can accomplish. Okay? So are you willing to make sacrifices needed to achieve your call? Have you worked such sacrifices into your budget, time management, and overall planning? God really has an audacious call upon us. And if we have faith, we're going to be making plans that are audacious. Now, in verses 23 through 41, which, Lord willing, we're going to look at another day, Paul helps Ephesus to face a huge uh, crisis. It was a city of darkness, and yet Paul saw it as a city of great opportunity. Now, here's all these pagans coming into the city, and it would be very easy for him to do like some people do, you know, in, in, um, in um, San Francisco, I guess is the name of the city, where they just think, oh, there's so many pagans in this city. We need to get out of it. We need to go off and live by ourselves on a farm. Uh, he, there's no escapism here. Instead, he was um, saying, because of all the darkness that's coming to this city, we need to be here. There's an unprecedented opportunity to impact God's kingdom. And that's the way we need to think. If you've been tempted to think, I need to quit my job. There's just too many pagans in this uh, job here. You need to realize that a light bulb is most effective in the dark. Okay, that's what it's built for, is for the dark. And uh, that doesn't mean you're going to go into areas that are going to drag you down and make you sin, in areas of your weakness, your besetting sin. But God has placed many doors of opportunity. We've got to have the eyes to see those. Now, we've already dealt with point four to some extent, but let me read verse 22, and let's look at more contingency plans that um, he puts in place. So he sent into Macedonia two of those who ministered to him, Timothy and Erastus, but he himself stayed in Asia for a time. Now, according to 1 Corinthians 16, verse 12, Paul didn't really want to do this. Paul was needed in Corinth very desperately because Apollos had left. He'd rather Apollos have gone there, but Paul says this. Now, concerning our brother Apollos, I strongly urged him to come to you with the brethren but he was quite unwilling to come at this time. However, he will come when he has a convenient time. Sometimes you can't count on people. They bail out on you. They ruin your plans. You know, oh, it's going to be perfect. If I could get Apollos in here. He said, no, that didn't fit into my plans. I'm not going to uh, do that. So we've got a difficulty. Paul is needed for another nine months in Ephesus, but Corinth needs him too. And I think all of you have faced exactly those kinds of dilemmas. Paul is not passive about that. He tries to talk Apollos into it. When not successful, he says, okay, we've got to make some other contingency plans. So Acts 19.22 says that Timothy and Erastus were sent to cover for him. So he sent into Macedonia two of those who ministered to him, Timothy and Erastus. Now, Paul needs those two here in Ephesus. They are such a help to him. Uh, but it was the only solution that came to his mind as to how the multiple needs that are staring him in the face could be met. Uh, 1 Corinthians 16 fills out the picture. In verses 10 through 11, Paul told him, And if Timothy comes, see that he may be with you without fear, for he does the work of the Lord, as I also do. Therefore let no one despise him, but send him on his journey in peace, that he may come to me, for I am waiting for him with the brethren. Paul knows there's a lot of problems in Corinth. He's sending these two into a really sticky uh, situation. So he tries to prepare the way by writing a couple of epistles and prepping these leaders and trying to do the best he can to help them fit in. 
And we're not going to read the rest, but First and Second Corinthians show some of the other contingency plans that he put into place. Now, I've already given a lot of applications uh, based on this passage of flexibility and uh, being strategic. And, and uh, let me summarize, though, with seven final applications that flow from this passage. I've given you the big picture. Let's now apply it. It's obvious that we need to be planners. Don't just let life happen to you. So many people lose opportunities because they're blindsided. They're not prepared to lay hold of the opportunities. Planning is essential, and I recommend that you'll spend at least five minutes at the beginning of each day to plan for that day, or some people do at the end of the previous day, and that you spend at least one hour at the beginning of each week or at the end of the previous week to plan for the next week. And you spend at least two days planning for your year. And don't just plan for work. Some people, their whole life is their work. But there's many areas. Plan for every area of life. And I've listed a few example areas here. Spiritual, family, ministry, social, intellectual development, physical health, occupational, financial, emotional. I mean, all of those need to have goals. And so you can plan when you're alone. You can plan with others. And I really recommend you do some planning with your whole family. Um, I think it could be a, a, a fun time. Uh, for example, you can plan a family vacation. And uh, kids especially are very uh, eager to plan family vacations. We haven't had one in two or three years. We want to make sure this family vacation really counts. We've got to look at the finances, how much the gas is going to cost, you know, what are the different options that are out there. And what you can do by that is your goals in, in, you know, your educational, your social, your family goals, some of those can be met in the planning and some of those are even going to be met on the vacation. But uh, you can kill many birds with one stone if you're wise in the way in which you do it. Now, let me give you seven reasons why we need to do this. First of all, because of human nature. If it's not planned, we tend to do what comes naturally and what comes naturally usually ain't the best thing. <laughs> so righteousness rarely happens. and needs to be planned for. Secondly, goals and planning give a person a sense of hope, a sense of anticipation. Subjective hope is the subjective counterpart to objective plans. And Scripture says if you don't have hope, you're going to lose all motivation. Uh, hope is uh, seen to be something that uh, helps us to, to persevere. Uh, it gives us joy in the context of tribulation. It purifies us. So it gives us hope. Third, we should plan because God calls us to be stewards of our time. Uh, goals and planning give us a concrete measuring tool by which we can say at the end of the year when you're discouraged and saying, have I really done anything? You say, wow, I guess I have based on on these objective goals we set, I've met, you know, 60% of these goals. That's great. I'm moving forward. It tells whether you're good stewards or not. Fourth, because planning makes us more efficient. We tend to misuse time just like we tend to misuse money. It makes us more efficient. Fifth, because planning helps us to pinpoint obstacles to progress. So what a lot, what a lot of people do is they, they fail and then they try to take restorative medicine. Planning helps you to take preventative medicine, not to fall in the first place. Sixth, planning is important because it helps us to take dominion. You're in much better control of your environment, your time, and of everything else if you have done planning. 
You're not going to be tyrannized by the urgent. Seventh, it helps you to know how to say yes or no to opportunities that come along. I think too many parents don't know how to say no to their children's desires because they don't have a plan. They don't really know where they're going and how these things could be fit into the plan. And so, you know, one moment they're pressured to do this, and the next moment they're off doing another thing. They're going to all kinds of activities. And at the end of the week, it's all haphazard. They're wondering, you know, what have I accomplished? I've been busy, but have I really met anything that's meaningful? So plan. Second, be strategic in your planning. There were all kinds of ministry opportunities for Paul that he could, so many, he could never accomplish them in a hundred lifetimes. Why? Because Paul was not the be-all and the end-all. Um, uh, he chose what things he needed to do based on his calling, the impact that the action would have, the need of the moment, the resources that he had at hand. And so don't try to do everything based on your gifts, your calling, your limited time, what season of life that you're in. You need to be able to figure out what is most important in our family at this given time. So just because the pastor's family is doing something or some other family is doing something doesn't mean you're supposed to be doing something. We may be at a totally different season of life than you're at. And so you've got to evaluate for yourself what is the best thing uh, you need to do. Paul's plans were different than Peter's and Timothy's. And they were different than Apollos's. In fact, Apollos is really an interesting uh, situation because Paul's really pressuring Apollos to serve his plans in Corinth. And Paulus is basically saying, now I've got plans to do something elsewhere. Sorry, it's just not going to fit. So because Apollos is being strategic, he's not being pushed around by Paul. Okay, it's really important. If you don't have plans, you're going to get pushed around by you know, whoever, whoever is the strongest uh, interest at the given moment. So you've got to be strategic. Third, be creative in problem solving. Paul had two competing opportunities, both of which were critical. He couldn't be in two places at the same time, and it would have been very easy for him to say, well, I've got, I got to say no to Corinth, or I've got to say no to this fantastic, unprecedented, once-in-a-lifetime opportunity in Ephesus. But he did not blind himself with an either-or dilemma. Now, we do this all the time. It's either this or it's this. But he's thinking outside the box, how can I achieve both? That's what he's trying to think. And so uh, he wrote letters to Corinth. He realizes, hey, I don't even have to be there necessarily. He writes two letters. He sends two representatives to Corinth. And he says, I'm going to follow up with a very quick visit. But they're going to be able to accomplish a lot. And I'm going to stay here in Ephesus. He has both. Killing two birds with one stone. And it's so easy for us to think in either-or categories. And if you have a tendency to do that, what I would encourage you to do is get some other wisdom. Even get your kids together, your, your, your wife, your husband, and say, you know, I really don't know. I've got two things that we've got to decide on. Let's, let's do some brainstorming, and we're going to write down different ideas of how we can accomplish this together. And don't, don't criticize, oh, that's not going to work right away, because that kills the creativity and it's going to kill people putting things on the board. Bad ideas many times generate good ideas. So everything goes up on the board. You brainstorm. You try to be creative. How can we think outside the box? Is there any way to achieve uh, both of these things? Fourth, be flexible. Paul was constantly changing his plans. And because he had plans, he knew what changes were possible and realistic and what changes were not. He wouldn't have been able to make those changes if he had not already planned. And by the way, being driven to and fro, some people say, I'm just being flexible. 
That's not flexibility. It's laziness. It's failure to plan. Fifth, don't be so driven by your goals that you're constantly frustrated when God puts the brakes on or He completely changes or He adds something uh, to the mix. Plans are tools. They are not absolute rules. Only God is absolute. And realizing that up front will... um, uh, that your plans will change. It's guaranteed. Okay, I'm just prepared. These plans are going to be changed. That's going to help you to relax in God's sovereignty and not get stressed out. And then finally, trust God. Trust Him to prosper the plans that are good, to change the plans that uh, need to be changed. Trust Him in the details of your life. Trust Him for your future. In fact, the main reason you can plan for the future Uh, and plan good for the future is because your God is good. He controls the future and He loves you. Like the little boy, uh, you know, you can put your arms around God and say, Daddy, thank you for tomorrow. Thank you that you're in total control of tomorrow. Uh, Invite the Holy Spirit to be a part of your plans. Ask Him for wisdom. Give Him glory when your plans turn out. Trust the power of the cross. You know, be driven by the Great Commission. Hardy power says our plans usually mark the limits of our faith. What are the limits of your faith? Stretch your faith by planning to do what only God could accomplish through you. It's only as you put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ for your salvation for time and for eternity that you're going to be able to relax and have the balance and planning that Paul did. And as you seek to imitate Paul in your planning, may God prosper you and may he fill you with joy. Amen. Father, thank You for Your Word. It is a light to our path, and I pray that we would follow it. Father, if there are any here who don't know what it means to have You speaking into their lives uh, of guidance, uh, if they've never put their faith in You uh, and cannot say for a certainty that all things work together for their good because they don't know that they love You, I pray that You would stir up within them that faith that You would give them salvation and that You would indeed uh, cause them to realize that every day of their lives You are working everything together for their good and for Your glory. In Jesus' name, Amen.